You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that. As I begin this morning's reflection, um, I offer to you that it's, it's going to be a rather serious word because these are rather serious readings. And um, I'm, I'm walking into tender territory because uh, what these readings touch on affects all of us in our lives. So my, uh, my apologies up front uh, if with my clod-hopping boots I te- tread on a tender part of your heart. Um, I ask you to pray for me, and if you have questions or want to discuss something, please come to me and talk to me later. Um, And the reason it touches so tightly upon our hearts is that today's readings really revolve around trusting God in the most difficult of times, especially our reading from Job. Because this is the part of the book where the change happens. For more than 30 chapters, Job has lost everything. Job is suffering. Job has lost his children, his riches, his position in society, the respect of his wife. He's gotten reams of bad advice from all of those around him. And he's finally yelled out to God, almost like if you read Psalm 88, you know, what's going on? And um, we've all been in that place. I ask you as I begin my sermon this morning, have you ever been disappointed by God? You will be, if you haven't been yet. Because God, while He desires to care for us and love us, and He loves us unfailingly, He won't always give us what we desire. He's going to give us what we need. And he's, he's, he has many other demands upon him, as his reply to Job makes evident. When I was reading this passage I, from Job, I thought of other places in the scripture where you see people disappointed by God, because Job is disappointed by God. And I thought of Mary in the Gospel of John, when you know, her brother dies and they bury him. Jesus is wandering along the way and he he comes and shows up and her first words to him are, if you'd been here, teacher, my brother wouldn't have died. She's essentially saying to him, where were you? What's going on? We know how the story ends. We know that Jesus weeps at the tomb of his friend and raises him from the dead, but that's not like Jesus' resurrection, which lasts forever. When Jesus raises Lazarus, Lazarus goes on and dies a death just like all of us are destined to do someday. Where were you at that moment? All of us have experienced pain and grief and loss and we've had that cry from our hearts, Where were you, Lord? 
When I was a hospital chaplain, I was a chaplain at a level one trauma unit. And you see all kind of things there. There was a young man who um, was a youth minister, just a few years younger than me, doing exactly the job I'd been doing three years before. 25 years old, serving in a church, wanting to share the love of Christ with everyone around him, helping to bring this wonderful group of youth to, to faith, and he was struck with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And uh, I walked with the family for months through his treatment process. And as so often happens, um, he ended up in the ICU, dying not of the disease, but of the treatment. The treatment had so weakened his immune system that he caught pneumonia. And they'd had to put him into a medically induced coma to let his body heal. And they, were, they, were, they had him on a table that flipped him from left to right to keep his lungs from clogging up. While he was in that medically induced coma, his wife gave birth to their first child. And they brought him out of the coma long enough to hold his baby so he could see her precious face. And five days later, a night I happened to be on call. I was sleeping in the ready room and the buzzer went off at 2 a.m. And he had coded, which means he'd stopped breathing. And I rushed upstairs and we grieved. And this is a family. They believed in miracles. They had been praying for one. And the wife and I held hands across his body and said goodbye as we watched his heart rate drop. And when I and another chaplain went to the funeral together, a good friend, we, we just had walked with the family through everything and so we were there with them in that time and, and the mother came up to us and said, I'm going to give you guys a call at some point. I know I am. And a couple weeks later, she called and she said, I knew this time would come and uh, I'm, just, I'm just, I don't feel God. Where, where was God? Where was He? It's tough. It's tough. Because we are called, as our opening hymn said, not merely to trust God for His power, but to trust His character, which means that we trust Him with the ultimate decision-making. And times when our prayers seem unanswered, when it seems that God was in, not in attendance, we cry out, Where were you, Lord? And in that question, there are two assumptions, though, that are hidden from us in our grief. One is that God was not there, when in fact God was. And secondly, that we know how that situation should have turned out. And this is where the story of Job turns. This is where God begins to speak, and as our first reading opens. And God takes that question and turns it right around on Job and says, Where were you? when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I had to make all this stuff work together? Surely you know the answer. And Jesus, God here is speaking to Job and saying to him in the kindest way possible that we'll actually get through, how can I explain this to you? We can't have any idea how much God is trying to bring together. And let's be honest with ourselves. God's ultimate goal 
is to get us, not to give us a great and happy life, not to give us all the fulfillment we want in this world, but to get us to eternity where we'll have forever to be happy with all those we love in the grip of His grace. God's saying, how do I explain to you how I make all of this work? I know what grades I got in high school physics. How's He going to explain to me the way He makes all this work? The way He makes all of our broken choices and sins, which He forgives, but whose consequences we still have to deal with. How He makes all these things weave together and take us to the end game that we read about in the book of Revelation where every tear is wiped away. Where we live in perfect love and harmony and without sin with one another and where the Lamb is the light of the city of God. We experience unbroken communion with Him. How is He going to explain to me how all those pieces work? have to trust Him, not only with the power that comes with Him being God, but with the knowledge that I don't have the capacity, the capacity to understand. It's the hardest part of our walk of faith. But one of the blessings of standing in these robes here and wearing this collar all week long is the people I get to minister to. And the people who have taught me lessons in much more concrete ways. Many of you know that talking to me can be a pain because I have all these weird words and I divert down rabbit trails all the time. Um, I love having conversations with people who can make the truths of the gospel, the truths of the walk of faith so concrete. A wonderful woman I met in my congregation in Maryland, Romaine. She was an amazing lady. She lived across the street from the church. She had been raised on a dairy farm in the Great Depression. She knew hardships right from the beginning of her life. And by the time I met her, her husband had had died um, and uh, was buried in our churchyard. And as our relationship grew to the place where um, you start to trust one another with the more tender stories of your life, She had me out for lunch one day after church and she said, Pastor, and she called me that even though I wasn't yet, I was only an intern. She said, Pastor, i got to tell you, in this beautiful, genteel voice, there's something real about that Mason-Dixon line. You go south of it and everything changes. She was this genteel southern lady and she said, Pastor, I'll tell you, I didn't always go to church. I said, wow. I said, tell me more. She says, well, my mama took me to church every Sunday. I had the Sunday school. I had the buttons. Do you remember when they used to do attendance in Sunday school and you got the buttons for it? She said, I had every Sunday, every year. But when I turned 18, my mama got sick. And I prayed fervently for God to heal her. We all prayed. We circled around her bed and we prayed and prayed. And, and yet, in the end, she got sicker. And she passed away. And I thought to myself, well, fooey on this prayer stuff. It doesn't do any good anyway. And I left the church for three years. Well, I, knew her, I knew more of her faith story. And she said, and so I said to her, I said, well, what brought you back? She said, well, 
Three years after my mama passed away, my brother took his own life. And as we struggled in the wake of that tragedy, as we asked each other, as we all of us looked at each other and said, what did we miss? How could we have helped? Something that occurred to me was that living through my brother's death would have killed my mama more cruelly than that disease took her. And from there on out, I decided I didn't have enough information to know what was going on and I was going to trust God with those decisions. We are called to trust God. Not just in His power, but in His character. But here's what I want to offer to you this morning that I've learned from people like Romaine. Is that we trust God in His character, but it's not blind trust. It's not trust just because we have to trust Him. We trust God's character because of the person of Jesus Christ who walked with us. We call Him God with us. Emmanuel, the easy part to forget when we read the story from the Gospel today is that Jesus is in the boat with the apostles. If the boat capsizes, He goes in too. Only He is riding in perfect faith there. And so when, his, when we come to God like the apostles in today's reading and say, don't you care that we're perishing? We know the answer. The answer is He does care. He cares so much that He climbed up on a cross to perish with us and for us. God loves us so much that He even sacrifices Himself. Not so that we can necessarily have the easiest life here, but so that we can have eternal life. As well as His help in this world. Would you join me in a word of prayer at this time? Lord, it's so hard when we suffer to sense Your goodness. It's hard for us to trust what we can't see. But we know You have so much more information than we have. You've got so many more things to bring together to bring about the ultimate victory of good. Lord, we ask that in the words we get from Paul this day that You would widen our hearts. Help us to trust You more and more. For we have known your character, not simply through your words, but through your Son who walked with us, talked with us, lived with us, suffers with us, and suffers still for the wounds he still bears. He suffers our questions. He suffers our doubts. He suffers our fear and our anger. Lord, help us to offer all those things to you so that we, walking with you in the midst of the storm, holding on to the gunwales as this boat rocks back and forth, can reach that time when in the book of Revelation we hear you say, Peace, be still, and all the storms around us are set at naught, and your perfect purpose is fulfilled. 
And we can praise you in joy with every tear wiped away. This we ask in the precious name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. 